The host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in this world. It's your Max again with the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Rachel Gray. She's going to share her story of um, active addiction into recovery and what she does. Um, so what I like to do, Rachel, is have you introduce yourself and, and let the audience know exactly who you are and what it is you do. Sure. So my name is Rachel. Um, I have 10 years clean. October 10th, 2012 is my clean date. Um, I do work in the substance abuse field. Um, I also started a business um, that my mom runs. Um, I funded it. That's, you know, one of the benefits of being in recovery, you know, is that you're able to like help out your family. So um, she does like dog bandanas and dog apparel and all that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's funny because when I stalked you, uh, when I asked you <laughs> to become a guest, right, I saw that we have some similar friends. So uh, they may be hearing this down the road, the interview. So um, I know you um, you live in Florida, correct? Correct. Is that where you, is that where you grew up? Is that uh, where you've lived most of your adult life and as a child? My entire life, I've lived in the same county. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Florida, yeah. Broward County. <laughs> That's all right. I you know until recently. I lived in Orange County for most of my adult life. It's only been the last six years, five years that I've lived in San Diego County now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Rachel, I mean, tell the audience, like, what happened that where you said, this is enough, I'm going to get clean. Uh, and, and what were some of those challenges, you know, that you faced when you were getting clean? So I attempted suicide um, in October of 2012. Um, my mom found my lifeless body half in the bathtub, half in the shower. And um, I wish I could say that was like my aha moment. But like, I was mad that I didn't die. Um, you know, so after she took me to the hospital, I had no brain activity. Um, I was in a coma for a little bit. And when I woke up, I was pissed. And um, she said, you know, uh, two options, either you're going to treatment or you're going to be homeless. And I had never been homeless, so I went with the treatment option. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laugh with you, and people are probably like, why are they laughing? She just got these <laughs> options, right? And I get it, right? Because I did that with my daughter, like who had never been homeless, right? I told her, look, you have two choices. You either go to treatment or your dad, you pack your bags, and dad will drop you off wherever you want to go, but you can't stay with mom. 
and you know with yeah. mom and, and grandma crying in the background right they they let me you know did it stick no she went she ended up whatever but so that's not the first time i've heard that rachel where someone right um getting clean right uh the event was they try to commit suicide right and then they wake up and they're more angry than when they try to commit suicide right because I mean, I can relate to that, right? Because I know many times when I went to bed, right? You, I've had that talk or prayer, whatever you want to call it. Like, Please, God, don't let me wake up. I just, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. But, right? Because they say when we're when we're using or drinking, right? We're committing suicide on the installment plan, and um, right? Because some of us, like myself, I'll just speak for myself. We're too chicken to to follow through and do that, right? Where I have a brother who. It was six years in May, uh, lost his battle to addiction and committed suicide. So I, I you know, I, I um, it's a very near and dear, as you know, to my heart, because like you and I, if we didn't think it was anything worth doing, we wouldn't be working in the field. Right. But we we get to help save lives um, and on a daily basis. So you woke up pissed. Right. I can understand <laughs> that. What was the turning point for you? What was that moment you that like they say uh, that awakening or that aha moment where you said, "Nope, I want to live. I'm going to change my life." Um I didn't I don't know if it was like defined by one moment. Um when I got into treatment, I like I wouldn't admit that I was an addict. You know, I just thought it was everyone else. It was because I had low self-esteem, because I had mental health issues, because growing up, so a lot of my family um, members are addicts, whether they're in recovery or they passed away from the disease of addiction. But I never saw them as addicts because growing up, like my idea of an addict was the homeless person living on the street. Like, I didn't realize that my dad, who had a lot of money when we were growing up, is an addict or was an addict. He passed away, Um, you know, or my family or my uncles or anything like that. It was, you know, the person begging for change on the corner of the street. That was my idea. So, you know, and and I had gone to an NA meeting once when I was 17, um, but I couldn't relate to any of them because I was a 17 year old kid doing ecstasy with my friends. You know, and they're all talking about meth and heroin and shooting up and all this. And I'm like, like, so that was like really my only experience with um, addiction or, or, well, like understanding or, or knowing anything about addiction. So it took me like a week or two um, to finally say like and surrender and, and like say those words out loud and like actually believe that like I'm an addict. Um, and then truthfully, like, I'm just, I'm a really stubborn person (laughs) and I just wanted to like prove everyone wrong. Um, cause they're like, yeah, she's not going to make it. And I'm like, uh, screw you because yes, I am. And so like some of those things, like, it's funny, like in the beginning, you know, sometimes like we don't stay clean for the most pure reasons. Right. But like, you know, sometimes it's like a cute boy at a meeting will get us to go to meetings or something, but you know, eventually, like, you're going to, you know, grow and and you're going to change your motivation. But in the very beginning, you know, it was those things and my dog. Um, You know, I, I, my dogs are my entire world. They have been, you know, my entire life. Um, She's passed away since. But 
So like, I, I didn't necessarily want to change. Um, I really had no intention of staying clean. Um, I definitely had no intention of changing my life or doing anything. It was just, you know, all those different factors combined that I was like, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll do what they're telling me to do. And again, the fear of being homeless. Right. So, so that, that's funny <laughs> that you say that fear of being homeless, right? I remember back in my active addiction, I remember because, you know, I played the tough guy, right? I'm hanging around with a bunch of people that probably shouldn't have been hanging out, hanging out with. And I remember the first time my mom ever kicked me out of the house, right? Like, out, get out. I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh. I remember walking around the city crying like it was one of those movie <laughs> moments, right? Like, okay, not only did I get kicked out of the house, it starts raining on me. You know what I mean? I'm crying like a little baby, like, oh, you're such a tough guy, Max, right? Uh, hopefully nobody sees me. Um, but I, I get what you're saying, right? Because, right, however we get clean and sober, right, whether it's um, an intervention from mom or a nudge from the judge, as you know, right, where – you're yeah. going to treatment or you're going like for me, it was either go to treatment or go to sober living slash treatment or go to prison for three years. And I'm like, well, okay, well, right. Three hots and a cot. I'm learning how to do this. I know how to do this. I have no idea what recovery is about. Right. I don't know what AA is or NA or any, you know, CBT or any of that stuff. Right. I'm like, um, but I know how to do three hots and a cot. And, but I'm glad that, you know, however it showed up for us that like you and I are here to show people that we can stay clean, right? We, I have someone that's very close to me that's going to be celebrating 39 years clean in next month, uh, right? Um, and that's a long time, right? And and I remember there was times where I, you know, like one time I got kicked out of my grandmother's house right before she passed away. My brother happened to be there, right? He's the one I'm talking about. And He's like, hey, Max, you got anything you want to talk about, right? But we think we got it together. I like, I had nowhere to go, right? I'm like, <laughs> I go, I got this, bro. I got, I got this, right? And again, I'm, I'm wandering the streets with nowhere to go, thinking I got it all together, um, right? And but I, I can relate to you, right? Because there's part of me in the beginning was like, you're gonna bet against me. I'm gonna prove you wrong. You might as well give me all the money that people are betting that I go get loaded because. <laughs> I'm going to prove you guys wrong and I'm going to stay clean and sober just to despite all you guys. Right. But, yep. right. And I had no idea um, like what I was getting into, but I'm glad, as they say, in our, you know, I surrendered and just went, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So what was like, like that moment for you when you started doing the work to stay clean? Right. Um, because we know that, and here's, you said something too, because, and here's one of my missions is to break that stigma, right? Everybody thinks it's that alcoholic who's behind a liquor store with the brown paper sack or, yep. you know, the guy on Skid Row shooting up, you know, in a in Tent City or whatever, right? But yeah. you have proof. It's not always that. I've known nurses, lawyers, doctors that were all struggling with addiction, but you wouldn't know because they, you know, had positions in life. So what right. was that moment when you started doing the work? What was that like? Um, so I, I just want to touch on what you said, because I what kept me, I, I think, kept me from getting help and also kept me from surrendering for so long 
was because like I've never been homeless I've never prostituted like I've never done a lot of different drugs and even in in treatment because I've been a treatment one time and I've been clean ever since but I would hear everyone's stories you know and I would hear all this stuff and like I thought I was so different because I'm like well I didn't do that drug and I didn't do this to my body and I didn't do this for drugs but I'm not better or different it's just because my life circumstances didn't lead me to do it but you bet your ass, like, if I was offered those drugs, like, I would be doing them. It's just, you know, I was not offered them, you know, and, you know, if it came down to it, that the only way for me to get the next one was to prostitute, like, I would have done it, you know, but like, in the very beginning, I didn't understand that, you know, and even in the beginning, when I got into treatment, like and in meetings and all that stuff I was like yeah those those people you know and stuff like because I genuinely really didn't know and I was still in that mindset of like you know the person behind the liquor store and all that and I I really didn't understand so I just want to like bring that up because it's important and um I do want to say one other thing I remember because when you said 39 years it like brought back this uh, memory from early recovery and I remember it was like medallion night at a meeting and all these people are picking up medallions and I'm like you're a liar and you're a liar and you're a liar because <laughs> I'm like you do not have and, and they, it wasn't even just the medallions it was the key tags of like 90 yeah. days six months and I was like you are still doing drugs you are drinking there's no way that you have this much time clean because like I didn't believe in it so it just, it was funny when you said the 39 years first, even though like I've been clean for a while and I've seen people pick up medallions and I've right. done it, you know, and all that, it just, it made me think of it. But, um, so the moment for me, um, I remember I was like when I really started putting in the work, I remember, um, so I did inpatient treatment. I did IOP with, um, with sober living and I remember I was either in PHP or IOP, I'm probably IOP. And everyone like had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And like I got with the first guy that like gave me attention on like Tinder, or one of those apps. And then like I was just like, what am I doing with my life? Like I don't even like this guy. But like the reality was I just hated myself so much that like being with anybody was better than being by myself. And, you know, it's not that he was necessarily like a bad guy or, or was, right. you know, anything like that. It's just we were not right together. And like, I think that was like really the moment when I was like, okay, like it's time to like work on yourself because like you're miserable in a relationship. So like, unless you work on yourself, like you're just going to be miserable no matter what. And like, do you want to keep living a life like this? Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more, right? Because I remember, you know, that brings back memories too of early recovery. And, and you know, like when I went to one of my first meetings ever, someone took a 10-year chip and I was like, and they think I should be in jail. They're up there freaking lying. There's no one on this God Greens earth. I'm telling this to the house manager. Like, there's no one that can take 10 years. I couldn't even stay I couldn't even stay sober in jail. So you're telling me this guy's got 10 years. And they were like shaking their masks. 
right? Because in the beginning, I like to talk a lot, right? And I, yeah, you know, and you probably heard it too, right? I can't can't save your face and your ass at the same time. And mm-hmm. right when I first got sober, and I figured, okay, I got to be at this place. I'm going to be like the best AA person because right? we had to go to AA. I mean. And and I did. I sounded good, right? I was doing the work, but realized later I was only doing it, you know, half ass. And yeah. um, you know, because um, and you know this process, right? So I get to my four step, maybe, maybe three quarters of a page long, right? <laughs> and I've shared this with other guests, right? My sponsor looks at me and he goes, he gives gives me that look like dude. <laughs> Come on. You've been in active addiction prior to this for nine years. You just got out of jail and you're you run in the streets. You're telling me like that look like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he he just looked it. All right. Uh, so I end up relapsing a week shy of 10 months, right? And then I would have three more after that. But the first one was the worst when it came to using this last one was one use, but it made me go back to like here I go again. Like, I feel like I've been out there for the nine years again. I feel like I'm either going to die or go to prison. Right. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. And we say those famous prayers, you know, God, please help me. I'll do whatever, whatever you say. And, um, and, and I can relate to what you're saying because right. Like you, I don't care if you go to NA or AA, right? There's always those old timers or whatever that, tell, you know, take the cotton out of your ears and shove it in your mouth. Oh, or, my God. Or the old timer that goes, you know, I peed way more than you could ever drink. And I'm like, dude, I don't really care. <laughs> That's not what I need to hear. Right. But what I did, and I'm sure you did, too, is start to connect with the people that were doing the work. Right. And not only, you know, staying clean, but having fun doing it at the same time. Right. Because. Right. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I'd be like, Hey, I'm uh, Max is out doing this thing. Um, so what was that process like, um, Rachel, when, when you finally started doing the work, right? Did you go to NA meetings? I mean, what was your process? Did they make you go to meetings when you were at your treatment center? Yeah. So in treatment, they would bring us to meetings of different fellowships. Uh, my fellowship is NA. Um, it's just, you know, where I felt comfortable because a lot of the AA meetings are exactly like you say, they're old, they were very old timer meetings, very much old timer meetings. And then some of them were like really religious and that made me extremely uncomfortable. But, um, my best, one of my best friends, um, we actually lived in halfway together and oh my God, we hated each other. Well, (laughs) I really didn't over respect and I was extremely entitled and I didn't understand like why I couldn't just go into her cabinet and eat her food (laughs) and like didn't know boundaries or anything like that at the time. But she's like one, she's one of my best friends. Um, it's been almost 10 years that we've been friends and I would go to some AA meetings with her and those were cool. Um, but I just, I felt more comfortable in NA and it's not necessarily because I'm a drug addict because, you know, drug addicts and an alcoholic are all the same thing and the same thing, you know, whether you're any type of addict, I mean, you could have multitude of of addictions. (laughs) It's all the same that you just need some type of external thing to fill the void inside and a lack of coping skills is really what it comes down to. Um, but yeah, that was just where I felt comfortable was NA. And I remember 
like early in recovery also, um, well, this was like a few years later, but it's still pretty early in recovery. One of my other best friends, like we would go to meetings and then we would go out to eat and then we would like go play karaoke or go play, go sing karaoke at like the pool hall place with like all these people in recovery. And, you know, we were laughing and just having a really good time. Um, very simple life, like working at a call center, making enough money for my Red Bull and cigarettes. And, <laughs> but like, that's, it's like, what's so important though, because like, I come from like, like parents who growing up, they had a lot of money, um, you know, and everything was always handed to me on a silver platter. Even like I went to the university of Miami on a scholarship for my grades but like, I didn't really put any effort forward, you know, or, or really try. I was always like really book smart. So like for me to have this like very basic, simple job where like I'm making enough money to cover like my necessities at the time, right. I was able really to focus on my recovery, you know, and I wasn't, Absolutely. you know, so stressed out about, you know, making a certain amount of money and, um, you know, all those other things, you know, that come along with the added responsibilities and all that. So I think that really helped a lot and being able to immerse myself. Plus I stayed in sober living till I had a year clean and there were requirements, you know, in regards to meetings and house meetings and, and all that. So that, that definitely helped a lot. Absolutely. And that's kind of like the place I was was very structured. Right. Um, And I probably should have got kicked out after like the second or third time, you know, relapsing, but they saved my butt. And and I believe it was all divine intervention at the time. So um, and and I'm like with you, I don't care what you do. Like I learned from a friend, like one day he said it. Uh, he was like, dude, A-A-N-A-C-A-S-A, triple A. I don't care. Just don't do it alone. Right. Because we know being alone is could be very it's a bad place to be. Right. And, um, so like, you know, having a lot of years like you of sobriety, right. Or clean time, um, for me, it's 19. And I remember when I was first sober, right. When I, after my last run, like I was really gung ho. Right. And it was like, if you don't do a, you're going to die. One of those guys, I turned into one of those old timers. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Whoa. Um, but now I've, I've softened it a little bit, right? I, my whole thing is, is, you know, you got to work on, you got to not be afraid to do that work on yourself, right? Whether it's through the steps um, or whatever, you know, however, Dharma recovery, smart recovery, I don't care. Just, just find your tribe and, and right. Don't do it alone because look, like I tell people I'm so blessed because I get to interview people of all walks of life. Like tonight here, I mean, I'm with Rachel, right? She's sharing her story of recovery. Like in my, you know, my active addiction, Rachel would have been like, dude, I ain't even getting near you, bro. Like, just don't even bother me. Like you're, you're not even gonna, not gonna happen. Um, But see, this is what I love about recovery, right? And people like, yeah, of course I'm biased. Um, Right. With the 12 steps, whether it's NA or A, it's because we get this. How many of us get that second, third, fourth chance? Right. And when we finally do the work, right, we get the blessings. Right. Not only do we get to stay clean, but like like I've seen people go from rags to riches because they got clean and sober. You know what I mean? And because I believe, you know, we're given the tools to do so. um, And. Hold on a second. I have an audience member. 
Um, is that a Visla? That's a, my little dachshund. This is Emmy. Oh, and now I see it. I only saw the face. I thought it was a puppy. Oh, so cute. <laughs> um, and see, this is a benefit of being clean and sober. Uh, dogs actually like me now, Rachel. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I heard an old timer say, just be the man that your dog always wanted you to be. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I get that. Um, right. And I'm not bagging on anything here. It's like, I just want people like, so I bring you, brought you on because I want people to be able to hear how people got clean or sober or overcame their challenges. Right. So, cause when we give people more choices, right. It, it could be better for them. Cause then they got more tools to learn. Like, Oh, Rachel said this, I'm going to try that. Or Rachel said this, and I'm going to go try that. Um, right. Because life is too short and, um, I believe, right, this is just my opinion, right, we get to live two lives, the best one lasts, and I plan on living that the best and and interviewing people like yourself, right, that have overcome their challenges and, you know, get to uh, be the dog, to, uh, be the man that my dogs want me to be. Oh, see, there's another one. Um, I know our That's dog's Olivia. cool. Hi, Olivia. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I, I've been working in the field for 14 years now and you know things have i don't know the last few years have changed right with the fentanyl stuff and as you know i don't know to me the 20 the 18 to 20 somethings right they're like to me it's like sad because sometimes they don't even care you know and, yeah. and you're trying to break through with them but so like uh, on the job right as are you are you a substance abuse counselor or are you just work in the field no i just work in the field Okay, but you deal with them, right? Like, yeah, you deal with us back like we were back then, right? Yeah. What is the challenges you have seen in, in in working with, you know, fellow alcoholics and addicts? Um, truthfully, a lot of the time it's the family, you know, that they enable them, and um, you know, it makes it really hard because, and I, I understand, you know, addiction is a family disease, and you know, that's really one of the hardest challenges, you know, like I, I remember speaking to a mom recently and, and just listening to her and her just make like her daughter is clean now, but like she's literally doing everything for her. And I'm just listening to her and I'm trying to like share like my experience and, and like how when my mom stopped enabling me, like it changed everything for me. And she just would not listen. And that goes for people that are still in active addiction and their family, because it's like, I, I can't tell you how many times it's happened where I give someone advice and I say, like, you need to do this, this and this, or like, I suggest, you know, suggest you do this. And then like, they don't do it. And then like their loved one winds up dying because they didn't put forth any consequences. Now that's not to say that, you know, if they were to put forth consequences, like the person would still be alive. Um, but I mean, my cousin, you know, just actually just turned 18 um, and passed away six days after her 18th birthday and her funeral was on Saturday. And her mom, you know, her mom put, you know, she, she put her foot down. She's in recovery and all that. And she gave her the best chance though of living. She really did because she couldn't have enabled her. And if it was her time, you know, but I, I think 
that like you can't make it easy for addicts. You really can't because I can't tell you how many times I manipulated my family and I wouldn't have gotten help if I was able to still manipulate my mom. You know, if, if after I, I attempted suicide and, and was in the, in the hospital, if when I said to her, no, 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 I, I'm okay now. Like I'll, you know, I'll just go home and, and she would have let me go home. Like I wasn't going to stop using, right? you know? So I think a lot of the times it's really, you know, the family that doesn't, doesn't understand addiction, um, you know, or doesn't, you know, doesn't change how they react because unless my mom were to change how she reacted to me, I was never going to change. And like, it sucks. I, I get it. It sucks. Like my mom should not have to be the person to change, but unfortunately it's like, what battle do you want to win? You know, and you really do have to change how you interact with the addict and and the things that you do and the things that you say. Um, I mean, like I did an intervention on, on a friend's son and, you know, and I got down, like I got to his level and he was like extremely paranoid and just all this stuff. And like, I fed into it. Like, did I want to feed into all of it and do all this? No, but like, I saw the end game, like the end goal was, you know, getting him, you know, committed to a facility so he could like get rid of the paranoia and all that stuff before going to a treatment center. And like, that's what you have to do sometimes is, you know, for the better of the person. Right. And thank God our parents, uh, well, my mom never went to Al-Anon, but you'd swear she was a black belt Al-Anon person. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because um, and I thank God for at first, you know, you don't see it like the time she kicked yeah. me out. You know, one time she let the police come in and take me away. I was like, oh, my God, are you <laughs> kidding me? But, uh, you know, I thank God that like the last time I went to jail, she she finally had had it because a week later she came to visit. And her exact words were like, I love you, son, but you're no longer welcome at my home. If you come near my home, I'll call the cops or I'll call the police yeah. and. Right. And if my neighbors see you and I'm not home, they're going to call the police. Like, what are you going to do? Right. And it's those moments where you think like, wow, I knew even though I was mad, I knew at that time, like that had to have been hard for my mom to say, because, you know, moms, you know, certain looks, you know, they're not playing with you. Right. And it was that look like across the glass on the phone. And I knew that look. And I was like, she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I like at that time, that was the only answer I could come up with, which was the best uh, because I'd given yeah. her so many empty promises before, you know, and she started crying and I'm like, what are you crying for? I got to go back to my cell and you get to go home and, you know, I have, she goes, that's the best answer I ever heard. Um, but, you know, and I'm, I don't care how you get clean and sober, right? Just do it and and find help. And don't, my thing is don't be afraid to ask for the help. Takes a lot of courage to, to raise your hand and go, look, I'm getting my butt kicked. I need help. Right. And to, right. Cause until you admit whatever it is, what the problem is, right. You can't come up. Cause if you don't know if there's a problem, you're not going to come up with a solution. Right. Um, and like you said, like, and, and it is such a family disease. I've, I've been in, you know, where they've dropped off junior and said, okay, we'll be back in 90 days, fix them. And you're like, <laughs> wait, 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 no, don't work. It don't work that way. You know? Yeah. Um, Or even working with, you know, as a counselor, I mean, I've had 
numerous times where like, what's your plan when you leave? Right. It, Cause you know, yeah. um, you're, if you don't have a plan, it's like very scary. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing that no plan, right. You see the newcomers over and over again, the ones that walk out mm-hmm. going, I got this, but what's your plan yep. then? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, yep. I don't know. Um, right. So it's, we could go on and on and on, uh, Rachel, you know, with this, but I'm sitting here glad you're clean, right? Because now you get to help people, right? We get to have this awesome conversation. So what are some of the other things you have done that helped that continue to help you in your recovery to grow as a person? Like, what are some of the things you do? So you mentioned the word tribe and it's funny because I have a group of friends and they're all in recovery and we call it our tribe. So I think really surrounding myself with people in recovery um, has made a difference of uh, life or death for me. Um, I've been through a lot in the last 10 years, like probably more than like most people go through. Um, You know, I've lost um, several dogs and like my dogs are literally like my kids. I don't ever want kids and like I treat them (laughs) like children. So... (laughs) I love it. So, like, just as, like, a comparison as, like, someone, you know, I know it's not a a real child, but, like, you you wouldn't know any differently by how we treat them. Oh, no. um, I got a (laughs) wife that likes to dress up that little wiener dog that you saw, like, put a little sweater on her. You know, yeah, so I get it. I love your wife. I don't even know her. If you only saw the outfits that I have planned for the dogs, <laughs> I, I'm Jewish and I bought a Christmas dress uh, for this Christmas um, activity because I'm taking the dogs to take family photos there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, but my so- wife just bought this outfit that looks like a Christmas tree for our freaking wiener dog. Oh, my God. You guys would get it. along great. I love it. Um, <clears throat> so you know, really surrounding myself with, with people, you know, and and positive people and people in recovery and people that have my back. Like my mom has been my number one supporter and number one fan from the very beginning. I'm so grateful for her. Like she's been my rock. Um, I also have, you know, friends in recovery and, and so when some of my dogs died, um, like Brooklyn, it was very traumatic. He drowned in my pool and I blame myself. Like I was, it was like one of the worst days of my life. Um, and so like, I like, I still like to push people away at times and put up walls. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, I want to be by myself. Well, uh, one of my friends stayed the night at my house and, um, I had woke up in the middle of the night and, um, I was going to kill myself. Um, but I didn't cause she was there. So like, she literally saved my life. Um, my boyfriend died of a heroin overdose. And this was like all of this stuff that happened of losing three dogs and a boyfriend were all within like two years. And um, <clears throat> like, I remember I was, I, my friends made me like go to a meeting and restaurant or restaurant or some, I don't even remember exactly where. And I just like looked at the cars on like the highway and I wanted to walk in front of those cars and like, she saved me that day. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, because I've attempted suicide, like I, I, well, I do know, I think because I've attempted suicide, like, I see that sometimes as an option. Um, I don't really think about using, but like, 
in a sense, that's the drug because all it is, is I just don't want to feel the pain. And I feel like I can't deal with life on life's terms. So, you know, we have different ways of dealing with that, whether it's going to drugs or alcohol, whether it's, you know, gambling addiction, sex addiction, you know, whether it's suicide, like all of those things, it's just the same thing. You know, it's just, you pick your poison. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the people in, in these rooms, it's my family. It's, um, it's all of it that really has saved my life time and time and time again. Um, you know, like I couldn't have done it by myself. Like I remember when one of my other dogs passed away, I was like, I was in like such a fog driving and probably shouldn't have been like driving. And, um, I, I, I like, I don't even remember thinking, but the next thing I knew, like I was at a meeting and like, I was there and I was just bawling my eyes out. And the thing that like I've learned is somebody is going to have experienced the same thing that you went through. You know, it may not be exactly the same, but it's the same, you know, and somebody has stayed clean through it and like can help you. And, you know, you, you really never know. Um, I was at a meeting recently and some girl had just lost her boyfriend to an overdose and was like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to go on and this and that. And I'm like, I got it, girl. I got you. (laughs) Like, I understand, you know, what you're going through right now. And, you know, I'm proof that like, it's possible, you know, like I had a reservation when Sasha, who was my very first dog. And the reason, um, a lot of the reason I stayed clean in the beginning is because I wanted her back because she was staying with my mom. I remember like saying if Sasha ever passed away, like that would be it, you know, and and, in like, I struggled in the very beginning with like the word God and and all that. Like I never, I, I wasn't religious growing up. And so someone said God spelled backwards is dog. And, um, you know, so like my dogs are like the most important thing in my life and happen. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, <laughs> she knows. <laughs> but so, but it's just crazy how things work out because like after losing dogs very traumatically, like, and because of recovery, I was able to do the most selfless thing I've ever done in my life. And she was 13 years old. She was really sick. And I was able to let her go. So she wasn't suffering. And like, if I wasn't clean, I wouldn't have been able to do that because I probably would have just been so high. I wouldn't have realized she was like struggling and suffering and stuff like, okay, technically she, okay. She was suffering, but not suffering. Like not to the point, like I was abusing her, but like, you know, it's her time. Um, And so like here, something that like, I was so adamant that I would go out and use after like it happened you know, wound up being like such a freeing moment for me. And like, you know, like I, I was able to like do right by her, you know, like the vet told me that that day when I brought her in, um, like, Hey, she's stage four kidney failure. And she's like, the treatments aren't working. So you could take her home and she'll maybe have a week to live. Maybe not. Or like you can let her go now. I'm like, I made that decision like for, for her. Cause like, if I, my, the self, the selfish decision would have been to like keep her here with me, right? you know, and, and not care about possible. her feelings. Yep. yep. And not care about anyone else besides myself. Cause that's how I was in active addiction. I didn't care who I heard or what I did. Like it was all about me. Yep. And so something that was like a reservation turned into being like 
such an amazing moment. Like, of course, it's really, really sad and stuff, but like such like a moment to do right by my best friend, you know, and to do right by someone who loved me unconditionally for 13 years. Like, that's all because of recovery. And, you know, people came to the the vet clinic and they were there with me. I was there for hours and um, they, they were there with me and like stayed with me afterwards. And, and um, I know like after my other dogs passed away and my boyfriend and, and some other friends, like I can't eat because like, you know, you have this pit in your stomach and we just like went out afterwards and got sushi. And like, I, because like, I just felt like I just did such a good thing for her. Like I knew that was the right thing in that piece that came over me. It's, it's just crazy. So like the point of all that is, you know, sometimes we'll come in here and we'll say these reservations and, oh, if this happens, I'm going to use, or if this happens, I'm going to do this. And like, you really, really don't know. You have no idea, um, you know, what type of blessing it can actually be. I mean, like, no, I miss her every day, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like that was my best friend and I love my dogs now. They're not her, but like, I, I'm able to hold on to the fact that like, I selflessly did right by her. Wow. And that's what recovery is all about. Right. I don't think it's just becoming Mm -hmm. back to the person that you were before, like, cause you Mm -hmm. work your program. Right. And I work, I'm becoming whole again, right. Working on mind, body, spirit, and and you know, I, and I can feel your pain when you're talking about your dog. I have, I think I've been through worse things in recovery than I ever yeah. did when I was out there, right? Like 100%. going to jail, like nothing compared to what I went through six years ago, right? Because yeah, uh, this Thursday will mark the sixth anniversary. My mom died on Thanksgiving Day six years ago, Sorry. so I I can relate to you because right at one period I turned thirteen. I was. Three days after I turned 13 years sober, my sister passed. Then on my, oh, I'm, I'm on my way to Minnesota, right? Eight months later to the day, my brother commits suicide. And then that's six months later, my mom passes away of a broken heart, literally. And that following Monday is when I put my daughter in treatment. So it was crazy. And then as, as recently as three years ago, you know, I lost a granddaughter to mitochondrial disease and skids, which is that oh. they, she had no immune system, right? So I was actually in the ER with my stepdaughter watching this go down. Uh, A week after she passed, my son has a stroke and almost dies of his addiction, his choices. Right. So like you, it's just like I looked at it like, okay, yeah, I don't like this. Right. Like and I had these conversations. You should hear me have conversations with God. Right. Like the F-bomb gets dropped Mm -hmm. a lot during those times. Right. But I go, I get it. Just take care of me. And um you know, I'll do my best, but seeing the things I can look back that I was grateful for, I got to help take care of my mom before she passed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like every Monday night was my night with my mom and I would go to her assisted living and spend the night and <laughs> listen to my mom tell a 48 year old man, it's seven o'clock. You didn't you think it's your bedtime now? And I'm like, <laughs> mom, <laughs> I'm almost 50. I don't need to go to bed at seven o'clock. She goes, it's getting late. Uh, but we watched TV together. Uh, and I can tell you, and I want to share this with you and my audience, right, is the, one of the greatest gifts I ever got was um, two weeks before she passed, we were watching TV, you know, and she's like rubbing my leg. And I'm like, what's up, mom? And she's like, I want to thank you for 13 years of sobriety, right? And I always share this part of the story. I'm like, uh, okay, mom, 
you know, in my head, I'm like, it's 14 years, mom, but I didn't correct her. I'm like, okay, I'll let her give me minus a year. But, but you think about it, like you and I have given our parent, well, my parent at the time, but your mom, like she can lay her head on the pillow and actually go to sleep. That's mm-hmm. a gift you can't put a price on, right? Like Correct. she knows, you know, when when um Rachel calls me and says goodnight, mom, I know she's going to bed. You know what I mean? And I can yeah. get what I'm saying. And and those are the gifts of recovery that that I love. And that's why I started this podcast because I wanted to interview people that not only had it, you know, stories from active addiction into recovery, but whatever challenge, because we can learn from everybody. You know, I just learned so much about you tonight in our you know short time together. Um, we have a lot of similarities because mm-hmm. my tribe, there's seven of us from back in those sober living days. The youngest has 18 years sober. Wow. And then there's, there's me with 19 and then everybody goes up a couple years after that. And there's seven of us that just said one day, we're going to stick together. We're going to keep each other accountable. And we're going to do this thing called sobriety. Right. And all of us are still sober today, and, and it's amazing. You know what I mean? A lot of people go, seven of you? Yeah, and that's rare, as you know, from that far 100%. back. 100%. You know, yep. and but when you want something, you know, like everybody's heard, you know, Ra- Rachel share, like when you want something, no matter how uncomfortable you get, you're going you're gonna to make sure you do the right thing. And you mm-hmm. did right by your dog, right? Um and she's probably looking down from doggy heaven, you know, so proud of you and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, right. So thank you for sharing that. Right. Because I think it's very important for people. If there is people out here in the audience, you know, that are in recovery, listen to what we're saying. It's you don't have to do this alone. Um, because I have many stories of the 14 years I've been a counselor where they go, oh, I got a plan and they don't. Right. And then a loved one calls and said, we found so-and-so dead of an overdose, you know, in the, in the room the other day, not even 30 days out of treatment. Um, so just remember everybody, it takes time, it takes work, and it's probably going to be the funnest thing you can ever do. If you're in recovery, it's just got to keep at it. You can't give up. And, um, uh, what was I going to ask you? So now working in the field, what I want to ask you, Rachel, is like, now you get to see it first, like, Right. Isn't it kind of like a flashback when you get certain individuals, you go, oh, my God, that's me back way back when. Right. Like and you want to kind of coddle them and go here, don't do what I did. Let me tell you the easier, softer way. Right. Uh, how is working in the field um, work? How does it work for you? Is it like does it help your recovery? Does it I mean, I know it does for me. I'm probably a dumb question, but I've had some people tell me, you know, I just I do it because it was where I was led to go. You know what I mean? I don't even think about it. So what does that mean to you? Like working in the field, like seeing people come from that hopeless state of mind and body to leaving, they're smiling, they're giggling, they're laughing. Cause you know, I always like to show their detox pictures. Like when they get, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? It definitely helps me stay clean, you know, and, and seeing it and, and listening to just all the bullshit, you know, of, of all of it and their excuse, just all of it. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, you can't fool me with your bullshit. It's <laughs> like, I did this. Like, a- I'm just like, okay. Like, um, but like one of the most amazing things about working in recovery is that I've been able to help family members. 
and close friends. Like my mom's two of her best friends. Um, I'm not like a licensed interventionist or anything like that. I know this is like the second time I'm saying I did an intervention. Um, but I mean, I know, you know, I know how to, how to do it. And, you know, we did one on her and turns out her and her husband needed treatment. And, um, they've both been clean for multiple years now. And like to see that and to see somebody that like your family is so close to, you know, be able to change her life. And, um, my cousin, um, the one whose daughter just passed away at 18 years old, you know, I got her into treatment too. And I got her other daughter into treatment. So, and I've been able to see, you know, just the transformation with them and, and see, just how like i mean i used with you know my cousin um and um you know the first time like i used ecstasy it was like with her so she could like keep me safe and whatever and (laughs) you know just all this stuff and just to just to like laugh about it now about like how stupid we were and just you know all that and i mean back then when you know i was 17 years old like it was fun Right. You know, it wasn't, you know, what it was when I went to treatment at 28 years old of, you know, living to use and, and, and all that stuff. And, and, um, so that, I think that for me is like the biggest blessing and it is, is working for a reputable facility and being able to send, you know, my family there and send, you know, my, you know, friends, like my mom's friends there. And, you know, feeling good about it because I've worked at other treatment centers before and like, I didn't, I didn't feel right, like sending people there, you know, they had like multiple facilities and there was like one of them and I was like, I don't really want to send people there, you know, and so like with my job now, like, I know that they truly and genuinely care about every single client, um, you know, and and they will like bend over backwards. They do, you know, they definitely do tough love to a certain extent, but with my family and and mom's friends and stuff like that, like they had insurance, they could have gone anywhere, but like I had them come to my job because like, I really do believe. And, and what I like about it too. So I don't know, can I say the name of it or no? It's up to you. Oh, so it's recovery unplugged. So what I like about it is also like they use music. So it's done in like a different way um, that it's not like a traditional type of program. Cause I remember like being in treatment and like the therapist was like nodding out cause everyone was so boring and she was <laughs> bored and everything. And I, like, you know, and so like the reason why I took the job here actually, um, I was not happy at my, my last job. And I remember going for an interview and like, I saw the clients outside and they were like smiling and laughing. And I was like, are they like giving them drugs? Cause I'm like, there's no way people are this happy in treatment. I'm like, no. <laughs> and like, they genuinely were. And so, you know, it's nice to, you know, be able to work for a facility that's reputable that like, you know, firsthand right. has helped, you know, some of my people. personal friends and yeah. And, and people that are close and important to me. Um, so for me, that's like the best part. Like, it's nice, you know, to help people that I don't know. And, and, you know, however long later, you know, I hear that they're doing well or I see them or, or something or some guy, he, he doesn't work for the facility anymore, but I remember when I met him, he was like, do you know that you got me into treatment this long ago? And I was like, 
that's cool. And now like you're helping people. So like that, you know, that's cool. Yeah, but that's the payout people don't understand, right? That's how I get paid mm-hmm. too. When I get the call a year later, hey, I'm still a year yes. sober or I'm a year sober now. And you know what I mean? Or And I've worked in different types of facilities. Uh, right now I'm working virtually for a place that believes I'm working on the mind, body, spirit. So part of their program is CrossFit. And I'm telling that's you, awesome. the CEO down, everybody does it, right? So I'm sitting at home thinking one day, okay. Like, I got to be a part of this, right? So I go to my local gym here in town, and I remember the first couple of days, I was, like, cussing them out. Like, man, well, you guys like this, why? But now I'm into it. Like, I love it, you know what I mean? Because that's a workout. Um, even though a couple of times I've laid on the mat, like, should I call my wife to pick me up because I can't move? Or will I make it to the car with this? These guys need to help me to my car, right? Um but I believe I'm working on the whole person, right? This place that I work for now has been around for 25 years. And it's up north, Northern California, up in Santa Cruz. Um, it's called Elevate Addiction Services. They're a great facility. But I like, for me, it's like, whatever works for you, right? You know, you got to work on all three. I believe work on all three areas, your mind, your body, and your spirit. Um, yeah. However that looks like, right? Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um been a great time like we could go forever i know with this talk so um uh there's a couple questions uh, i want to i i'm recovery unplugged has two facilities right isn't there one in like tennessee or something and then one out in florida so florida texas tennessee and virginia oh that's right they have four Mm -hmm. that's right okay and um and you're a personal trainer also i think i spoke to Right. Oh no! I just go to the gym. I, oh, you. I, I, I thought he. I go uh, to CrossFit. No. <laughs> oh, so you do CrossFit too? See, I do. Like, <laughs> I love CrossFit. Like it's just a killer workout. Um, it's I always have to watch it though, because half the girls in there are stronger than I am. So I got to remember, I have no shoulder on the right, bad back. Take it easy, Max. It's not a competition, but um, I love the camaraderie of of what CrossFit offers, you know, people are always supporting you. Like first day from the first day and they're, yeah, you can do it. I might be cussing them out in my head. Like, you guys suck. I don't know why you like this so much. Um, Okay. So I thought you were a personal trainer, but that's cool. Um, So I'm going to ask you the questions I like to ask my guests before we part. Right. So fearless, as you can see right there, right. What does fearless mean to you, Rachel? And how does that show up in your life today? So it means pushing forward when you don't want to, you know, it means figuring out a solution and, you know, staying clean and, um, you know, doing whatever it takes, even when you're scared, right? Even when you're scared deep down inside and you're trembling and everything, it's, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and just going, you know, and having faith and, and making it. Well, that's why I love recovery, right? Because they got acronyms for like this fear thing, right? Mm-hmm. They say, yeah, you face everything. And, yeah, yeah, and, fuck yeah, everything and run or fuck everything yeah. and, or face everything and recover, right? Yeah. I choose the latter. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I, yeah, it's, I think, and I'm always biased, right? like yourself, but I think people in recovery who take the time to work on themselves and stay clean and sober are some of the bravest, most beautiful, intelligent people I know, right? Because we've already experienced hell, 
right? We've been there, done that. Now we're working way, our way out of it and trying to be the best and most elite version of ourselves so that we can help others do the same. And isn't that mm. what it's all about? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this then with the why being there, I did that on purpose. Uh, what does happiness mean to you? And what is how does that show up in your life now? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because I feel like this entire podcast has been like negative things I've been through in recovery. And I was like, I really <laughs> hope that I get a chance to like talk about some like positive things. You know, I, I know it's important to tell people, you know, about the trials and tribulations in, in recovery and that you can stay clean through anything. But, <clears throat> you know, for me, the happiness is, you know, waking up in the morning and not wanting to die. You know, the happiness for me is looking in the mirror and being proud of myself, you know, loving the person that I am, having a relationship with my brother who called me and said, or I'm sorry, who said, you know, you're just a junkie that should kill herself. You know, it's having a relationship with my mom, who's my best friend <clears throat> and her being able to to rely on me and, and think of me as like responsible and dependable and trustworthy and all these type of adjectives that like were never to describe me ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, happiness is being with my dogs and waking up in the morning with them and Lincoln cuddling like over my head and giving me kisses and then Olivia moaning and groaning because she's not a morning dog <laughs> and like we have like a love sandwich and we cuddle and kisses and like that's how I start my day is like you know with them and surrounded by so much love and affection you know happiness is my friends happiness is being a fully self-supporting independent woman who is not dependent on any person you know, the people in my life are here because, like, I choose for them to be here. Um, you know, happiness is the fact that, like, I've been able to, you know, fund a business that my mom does. So, you know, I know you and I were talking about it. It's um, like dog bandanas and stuff. Um, I could say, yeah, I guess I'll say it, too. If anyone wants to check it out, it's alltaleswag.com. So she makes, like, dog bandanas and all that. And it's just been really cool to, like, you know, to strengthen our bond over that of something that started because I wanted bandanas for my dog's birthday party. And <laughs> I don't know how to sew. I can't do anything like that. But, you know, it, it's it, happiness is the fact that, like, I could be home by myself and, like, be happy and be completely okay and not crawling in my skin. You know, and and be able to sleep at nighttime. Well, okay, I'm lying. Like I don't sleep very well, <laughs> but like, but that's because I'm like thinking of a million things I need to do. But it's not because like I'm sick. You know, I'm I'm dope right. sick or or any of those type of things. It's not because I'm like, you know, scared or paranoid or anything like that. Um, right. No, because you're actually and, thinking of real things to do. You know, like real life stuff, adult stuff, right? Yeah. And our brains can't help but not shut up. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot. There's definitely a lot to, yeah. you know. And, and that's why I asked the question at the end, because I know we can get into that, like, this is what it was like. This is what I went through. This is how I overcame. Um, but if you heard what Rachel was sharing, everybody, it's like it's led her to this place of um, being happy and content and, you know, 
like I always say, be she can look in the mirror and love the lady that's looking back at her, just like I can look in the mirror and see the guy that's looking back and be proud of that guy. There's nothing like that feeling, right? Because I've shared before, and I know you maybe went through this, right? When I was in my active addiction, I would make sure I fogged up that bathroom because I did not want to look in the mirror, right? I did not want to go walk past that mirror and go, oh, whoa, you know, like, who's that? You know what I mean? Um, so I get what you're saying, right? And and life, now that we've give, been given this second chance is, you know, let's go. You heard her. She she has, um, what's it called? Say it again. I want you to, what, what is your business for the dogs? So if anybody's looking for bandanas for their dogs, they can go to what? All tails, like dog's tail with an S, wag.com. All tails, wag.com. Hear that? We're going to probably have to get you some uh, Emmy. (laughs) Um, It's great. My mom just makes all these amazing outfits for my dogs. I kind of just funded this for her to to make all these amazing outfits for my dogs. (laughs) Hey, might as well create a business while you're at it, right? Awesome. Well, um, you don't get to get off so scot-free. So (laughs) one last question. Actually, I like to have you share one piece of advice with my audience that will help them grow as a human being and become a better human. What was that? What would that one piece of advice be, Rachel? Um, Don't be so hard on yourself, you know, allow yourself some grace. There you go. I love it. We all need a little bit, allow ourselves a little grace, especially in these times, especially when COVID hit. Holy moly. Now everybody's trying to catch up. So I love that. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you. you being on the show. Thank you for for sharing what you've shared. I, I know the audience is going to get a ton out of it. Um, I know I appreciate you being here. So if everybody, if you, if you learned something, if it made you smile, if it made you think, please leave a review. And until next time, I will see you all later. Have a good night, everybody. You've been listening to Fearless Happiness. The numbers on addiction are absolutely stunning. Max lived in addiction for years and during that time made some terrible choices, losing his family, friends, and career. But he turned his life around and now Max works as a substance abuse counselor helping people in their recovery. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hit the website at maxnaist.com. Till next time, keep the fight, and we'll see you soon.